got a question for you. Uh, how many of you care about loyalty? You do? Okay. All right. All right. So, you, so most, most of you, some of you that didn't raise your hand, remind me not to be friends with you. Um, do you. Do you ever think about who you're loyal to? I don't, I just don't think we always really think about that. Like we, we, we live with our loyalties to things, but we don't always think about it. But all of us, I can tell you, you know you're loyal to something because almost all of you, I would think, if you have a smartphone, have some kind of app on there that the whole point is you're part of a loyalty program, right? So you might not think about it like that, but that's exactly what it is. So let me just name a few. Sorry, my voice is carrying today. Um, Panera. I'm part of the Panera loyalty program, the Sippers Club, you know, they got me in. They, they love me. That's why they wanted me to be a part of their loyalty program, because they, they love me. I'm also part of the, anybody else got the Starbucks app that they use to get points for? Come on, don't be ashamed. Who's got it? Okay, all right, yes, yes. Starbucks, I looked up a couple other things that have like loyalty rewards programs. So Nintendo has rewards. Anybody got Nintendo rewards? I knew Sterling would, that's so why I said it. I was like, I got to get my gamer people in here. I know, I know they got their Nintendo rewards. Anybody got Steam rewards? Steam? Okay, all right, so it's good. Um, you know, and, then, and I'll go down some of the ones you, you might not have. Oh, you know what the best one is, though? Who thinks they, they can name the best loyalty program? Exactly, why? You get points for free. You get points, sort of. And you know why? Why is Chick-fil-A... Because they love me. They say, they say, what is it, my pleasure? Yeah. But they don't mean it. I know some of y'all that work there, you don't mean it. You do not mean it. No, who knows? Why Chick-fil-A? Because they're Christian. <laughs> Chick-fil-A is the only one that doesn't make you load money on. Chick-fil-A doesn't make you load money. You just, you just, get, the, you just get the points. That's an actual true loyalty program, reward program. I mean, look, so many things have loyalty rewards programs. Tire centers have them. Hotels, anybody part of the hotel rewards? Okay, who else? Airlines, what other? We got airlines, yeah. We got a lot of people in airlines, rewards program. You know, North Face, I looked up, supposedly has a really good rewards program. I don't know if any of you guys are part of that. We've got um, DSW Shoes. My wife loves their rewards program. Um, Sephora, anybody Sephora part of the Sephora Awards program? I am not. Some of you are embarrassed. Okay. Um, Uber's got one. So look, look, companies, here's the thing. Why do companies have rewards programs? Exactly right. They stay with them because, or they want them to stay with them. They know that there's so many options out there, right? They know there's so many options out there. They've got to get some way to keep you with them. So my question is, is this true loyalty or just the appearance of loyalty to keep you coming back? So it's what I would call rewards-based loyalty. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn your table just for fun. I want you to talk about what brands are you loyal to? I thought that'd be fun. Take like three minutes, not long, go. All right. All right. We're going to jump, jump back in here. I hear some hot debates. Someone said Chick-fil-A is overrated. That is not spiritual. That is... <laughs> That is God's chicken. That is God's chicken. All right. I'm going to hook y'all up and... Uh... There we go. Switch over to this. Hopefully that's better. Um, so from now through December, we're going to jump into a four-part series in the book of Ruth. So I got a graph up here. This is a graph that Aaron used. I like this graph a lot. It kind of shows what's sort of happening in the Old Testament. You can look at where the Israelites are going. So 
We've got creation with Adam and Eve. You get like the Cain and Abel goes down really fast, kills his brother, like second lineage, really bad. Things got bad quick. We go down to Noah, the flood. We come back up to Abraham. We got like the major patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. You'll, you'll hear them say the gods of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob quite often in God's word. And then you go, the uh, uh, Israelites get taken into slavery in Egypt. Things go down again. Moses leads them out. They go up. And then we got to the book of Judges, and it's just a spiral down. You saw that through the book of Judges. Like the people just did what was right in their own eyes. <clears throat> and so the book of Ruth is really cool. It is, some of you may not have known this. It tells us in the first verse, and we're going to get to that in a little bit, but it was written and happened, what happened during the time of the judges. So as messed up as people were, things, there was some out there that were still good. As we learned through the book, through our study in the book of Judges, there were, the, the people were, were pretty messed up. But the book of Ruth is this beautiful book revealing the story of a faithful woman, Ruth, who is loyal to the Lord and to people. And it's how God redeems and blesses her life and ultimately how she is in the lineage of Jesus. Really, really cool. So I don't wanna give the whole story to you. Some of you might already know it, but I just really encourage you uh, to come back each week and kind of hear the next part of the story. It's, it's a really cool story. It's the story of God's redemption. There's a love story written within it. It's pretty cool. So today, we're going to take a look at the loyalty and the faithfulness of Ruth. The loyalty and the faithfulness of Ruth. Let's take a moment to define the two types of loyalty I talked about. I'm going to define them real quick. So there's what I call rewards-based loyalty and true loyalty. Rewards-based loyalty is you're staying with a person or a company or whatever it may be because of the potential rewards it will bring you. You know what's really messed us up in this world? Amazon. Like Amazon has messed us up. I mean, not that they have a rewards-based uh, rewards thing, but really they're like, pay this, this Prime membership and we'll give you all these rewards. And so now we don't want to, anything that I look up, I'm like, let me check that on Amazon first. Anything I want to buy, let me check and see how much it is on Amazon first. It's kind of messes up because it's all about rewards based. Like, what can I get? If I help, if I pay to this company, what's it going to give me back? That's kind of rewards based loyalty. And this is what I would, and then I would call true loyalty. True loyalty is this, staying with a person or a company based on the inner conviction of the right choice, whether I'll benefit or not. True loyalty, let me say that again, is staying with a person or company based on an inner conviction of the right choice, whether I'll benefit or not. That is true loyalty. I have to say one of the, you know, I'm going to go to sports examples. It's what resonates with me quite often. So whatever it is for you, think about the, the people that you see or the things you see that are loyal in your life. I've found that some of the most loyal people are college sports fans. I feel like professional sports fans, do any of you guys remember Dale Peak that used to be an administrator here? You guys remember Dale? Dale Peak, I was like, came to his office one time, I'm like, oh, Dale, you're a, um, you're a New England Patriots fan? And he's like, he's like, well, kind of. And I was like, what does that mean? I was like, are you just a total front runner? Whoever is good, you're, you're, you're with them? And he's like, no, he's like, actually, he's like, I'm a Tom Brady fan. 
He's like, I was a Michigan fan. Tom Brady was the quarterback there. So then I became a Patriots fan. So then it was funny. About three years ago, when Tom Brady went to the Buccaneers, Dale comes in my office one time, and he's like, look, now I'm a Buccaneers fan. I'm like, because Tom Brady went to the Buccaneers. So he's, he, Dale didn't really care, right? He's like, he's like, I'm not loyal to one team. I'm kind of more loyal to Tom Brady. But I've often found that college football teams, especially in college teams, people are super loyal to them. It's like it goes back in their family history. And if you were to disown them, it's like it would be the worst thing in the world. Whatever it is for you, you think about people that it's like they have this inner conviction that they're loyal to something. And they're, they will make decisions based off of that. You know, true loyalty I think is a rarer quality. To have true loyalty to someone or something is a rare quality because you have to evaluate the what and the why that you're loyal to something. And I think quite often we don't always take the time to really think, why am I loyal to something? Why do I care about something? Why do I stick with someone or something? We're just gonna go whatever the the next thing is that will bring me that little bit of happiness We'll make things right for a little bit. But to have true loyalty means you've thought about what is the inner conviction of why I have I'm based off of this thing. So ultimately, true loyalty is making a decision based on the interest of someone else or something else, whether you will benefit or not. And so as I was studying for this message and I was kind of pondering about and thinking about the sort of a little bit of the loss of loyalty in our world, as I was thinking about it, I was like, you know what, this is a quality of God. Loyalty is such an inherent quality and characteristic of God. And so therefore, I was like, it really is a quality that we need to consider do we have in ourselves. So really, we're kind of carrying on the, the who do you follow storyline. That's what the book of Judges was all about, who do you follow? Because the people were sort of following this judge, this leader in Israel. And then when the leader was gone, all of a sudden, it said they turned back to what they wanted, whatever was good to them. So this... This idea of loyalty and commitment is inherent to God. Loyalty and commitment are the essence of God's character. If you can go to that slide where Deuteronomy 7, 9 was on there. It says this, 7 through 10. Therefore, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And on the flip side, it says, and repays to their face, those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him face to face. The reality is that God says, I am loyal to those that I love, that love me and stand with me. I am loyal to them. To those that choose to go against me, I am loyal to the consequences there. That is God's character and commitment. He is loyal. And so as we're loyal to God and learn to apply his word, that loyalty will play out in our lives and how we live and what we're loyal to. And the cool thing is, is that when we, when we say, Lord, teach me to be loyal to what you want me to be loyal to, to walk in your ways in a committed way, that faithfulness that God produces in our lives begins to impact others around us. And that's what we're going to see from the book of Ruth. The other cool thing is that loyalty and faithfulness breaks down walls and builds trust. Loyalty breaks down walls and builds trust. And I think that's something that our world is lacking, is breaking down walls and building trust with each other. Because when we find that someone doesn't believe something that we do, we're instantly like, oh, wall up, not talking to you. You did something to me, wall up, not going there. 
And loyalty says, I'm willing to walk with you. I'm willing to have long suffering with you to see that God has something he's doing here. And so we're going to get into some of the specifics of what loyalty is, because I think sometimes we can get this idea of, okay, well, I should just be loyal to this person or this thing, no matter what, I just have to stay committed. And I want to give you some things to really think about to determine and decide what are you loyal to based out of this book of Ruth. So today we're going to talk about three characteristics of loyalty that I think you could begin just really living out today as we look at the book of Ruth. And like I said, typically we would often start out with a overview of an entire book, but today I'm not going to do that. Uh, some of you might know the story of Ruth and you kind of know how it folds out. I don't want to give you the whole book. I want you to come back each week and be kind of excited to know what's next. What's God going to do here? It's only four chapters. We're only doing four Sundays of it, leading us into Christmas. Um, but it's just a beautiful story of God's redeeming grace in the midst of suffering. Uh, so, by the way, if you do want to know the ending story, you know you can't pick up your Bible and read it. So just don't do it here now. Um, interesting note, God is not mentioned very much in the book of Ruth. And it's kind of interesting. And as I was doing a little research on that, it seems that that's sort of the point of it. What the author wanted you to see was it's a story of God's divine will and human free will working hand in hand. And that's really what the Christian life is about. God's divine will, his sovereignty, working in the midst of our free will, as we submit our will to his and his divine plan, we see God working out his will. And that's what happens in the book of Ruth. So let's jump right in. Ruth 1.1. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Ruth 1.1. The other thing I want to tell you, two things. One, if you can't see me, turn your chair so you can see me. Second, um, because this is like about, we got about 30 minutes of this. If you can actually just put your phone in the middle so it's not a distraction and we can just focus and hear God's word. Thank you. Actually, I spent a lot of time on this. So I kind of want you to respect me and respect God's word and hear it. And if it's bad, you can tell me about it later. That's fine. Ruth 1, 1 says this, in the days when the judges ruled, there we go. So this is in the midst of the time period of the judges. Israel doesn't have a king yet. They have these leaders that are sort of living. Uh, they're, they're in the land, the conquered, the semi-conquered land. They didn't fully conquer it. They're in the land. So in the time when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. <laughs> and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So as we saw, most of the judges were poor leaders. They lacked integrity. They were self-centered. And honestly, most of them at their best really saw God as maybe another idol. Some of them did. They had other idols. So they saw God as another idol or sort of a genie in a bottle that they could sort of get what they wanted. That's what's happening. That sets the stage. We got to know that. It was really good to understand the judges, to really see what they were like, to know then we see this complete opposite story of this woman, Ruth. And the book of Ruth shows these two Humble women, we're going to learn about Naomi, her mother-in-law, who have this foundational godly character. And the book of Ruth stands as a testament that there were still people faithful to God. Two women who lived out godly character when really no one else was looking. No one else was going to know. They had no idea that their, their names, their story was going to be in the Bible. They had this inner conviction of what was right, and they lived it out. So we're introduced here to the first characters in this story. And the background helps set it up here. So we've got 
uh, in verse 2, it says, The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. So we've got Elimelech. Elimelech is the, the patriarch of the family, the father, the husband. We've got Naomi, who is the wife and the mother. And then we've got the two sons, uh, Malon and Chilion. And so originally, this is really important. I want you to understand this. If you just take this little nugget away, if you don't listen to anything else I say today, just know this. Everything that is in God's word is there for a purpose. There is nothing in here that is not for a purpose. We read over a lot of things. I read over a lot of things and don't get the full story of it. But there's something really important here. And it says that originally they were from Bethlehem. That's going to be important. I want you to put that in the back of your brain. That God's word, everything that's in here is for a purpose. So that this little piece about they're originally from Bethlehem is important as we get further down the line, okay? Put that in your head. So we now come to, we learn about the characters in the story, that they're from Bethlehem, they're Israelites. Verse 3 says this, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. So first thing that happens, they go to the land, they go to Moab, and first thing that happens is her husband there, they must have lived in the land for some time, and then her husband, Elimelech, dies. Now, let's go back and just talk about this for a minute. Elimelech chooses to move his family to Moab. Why? Well, because he heard there was, there was a famine in the land, and he heard that there must have been food there and no famine, that there was actually rain there. So the Bible in, in, in Ruth does not specifically say that this was an unwise decision. But I'm just going to give you a little bit of background and really, this plays into the whole story of God's redeeming grace. I believe that that was an unwise decision. And I'll tell you why. Moab was a place of those who worshipped idols. This nation was supposed to be completely wiped out and conquered during the conquest of the promised land with Joshua. But they didn't. And the reason God said to wipe this land out, to wipe these people out, is because he knew, God knew, that they would be tempted to follow their gods and their idols. So that's one. They worship, Moab was a place of idol worship. Number two was, how would his sons marry God-fearing women? Ultimately, right, he wanted his sons to marry women who followed the Lord also and followed the God of the Israelites, the true God. Well, if they go to this land of Moab, how are they going to find these godly women? And then number three, scripture explicitly said the people of Moab were excluded from the worship of the Lord because they would not help Israel in the conquest of the land. So Israel actually gave them an opportunity to help them in the conquest of the land, and they didn't do it. I'll, let, I'll show that to you real quick. Deuteronomy 23, 3-6 says this. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you. Anybody remember the speaking donkey? That's this story. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. I think there's a lot of reasons why they shouldn't have gone to Moab. But remember, we're in the time period of the judges and people did what was right in their own eyes. Now, in one sense, it made a lot of logical sense to go to Moab. There was a famine in their land. They knew there wasn't a famine there. They're like, we've got to provide for ourselves. I get that point. I wasn't living there then. But the reality is that God says, I do want to take care of my people. And so they decide to go to Moab unwisely. 
We've got problem and pain for Naomi. Elimelech dies. But thankfully, she has two sons. So it's just, I think in her head, she's like, okay, I'm still okay. I've got these two sons to take care of me. Because in that, especially in that day and age, to be a widow was extremely difficult. Being a widow now is really hard. But being a widow then, extremely hard. Wasn't the same for them to be able to get a job and provide for themselves. So she's like, okay, I got these two sons. So we pick up in verse 3. But Elimelech, the husband, died. She was left with her two sons. Then it says, verse 4, these two took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. Then it says, so, they, so the good news is they find wives. So, okay, the family line is going to continue on. Although not with Israelite women, not with Jewish women, these Moabite women, but the family line will continue on. Naomi will be taken care of. So that's good. The suffering, then it's kind of good. Now we read in verse 5, and both Malon, they lived there about 10 years, and then both Malon and Chilion died, so that the women was left without her two sons and her husbands. So now her husbands died. Now both of her sons have died. I just think Naomi's pain must have been great at this point. Is all she sees is suffering in her life. We moved to, she moves to this land. They don't know anybody completely lonely there, not amongst her people. Her husband dies. Now both of her sons die. You know, while earthly death in this time was more common due to lack of medical care, famine, war, it doesn't take away the fact that she lost her husband and both of her sons. The grief for Naomi was great. She felt completely isolated in a foreign land, and carry on, carrying on the family name now was not going to happen. And that was paramount in this time, to be to carry in your family line, to have this security. So then we pick up in verse 6. It says, Then she rose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. Now, it's interesting. We haven't heard about the Lord in this story. It just says that Elimelech just chose to go to Moab. But we've got Naomi, and she says that she heard that the Lord had provided for her people. This woman, Naomi, she has not forgotten about the Lord. Maybe her husband had, but she hadn't. So in the reverse of her late husband, she hears that the famine has ended by God's providence, so she decides to return there to her homeland and to her family. Now, this is, is, I think, important as we even understand suffering in our own lives. She had a lot of reasons to say, God, you are totally against me. My husband's died. Both my sons have died. But she says it's the Lord that has provided. And we're going to get into a little bit of some more of the things that she kind of laments to the Lord. But the reality is in her suffering, she feels the pain, but she says, God, you are the one who's provided. I am going back there. So it appears that they, they set out on their way together. Orpah and Ruth had, go with her. And I would say most likely they had left their families when they married his two sons, the two sons, they had said, okay, now we are part of this family. 
So really, Ruth and Orpah, as they set on their way to go with her back to the land of Bethlehem, they're really saying, we're leaving our family, our land, all the things we know to go with you. We would say, we aren't expressly told this, but I would assume that, again, they had originally left their families to go be a part of this family. So here's what he says in verse 8. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So Naomi, in her kindness, she wants her daughters-in-laws to be blessed and encouraged. She wants them to stay there so that they can find a husband. She's like, don't go with me. My years have passed. I still want to see you be blessed. And the word kindly there is the word in the Hebrew word for hesed. Hesed, it means it really goes back to God's loving kindness. It speaks of God's covenant loyalty to his people. And this kind of kindness, it involves a grace that is extended even when it's not deserved. This Hebrew word hesed is this kindness of God that is extending of grace that is not deserved. And she's saying, I hope that God will bless you, even though you might not deserve it, that you will experience God's kindness. You know, Naomi says she had received that kind of hesed or that kind of kindness from Ruth and Orpah when they married her sons and then stayed with her through the death of her husband and her sons. The deep loyalty and kindness had deeply affected Naomi's life. And she, in turn, wanted to have the same blessing go back towards her daughters-in-law's. Now, there's one thing that's really important here. It is important to know that, to note that because Ruth and Orpah had married these Israelite men, they now came under the covenant kindness of God, his covenant love, his Old Testament promise. They literally married into that, being God's chosen people now. So here's the first thing I want to tell you about true loyalty. True loyalty is extending love that may not be deserved. Extending love that may not be deserved. You see, we talk about some of these loyalty programs I mentioned that we're being kind of funny about. The reality is those are really just rewards. They're not really loyalty. They're trying to get you to stay with them. They're just rewards. Well, if you spend money here, we'll give you this. So you keep coming back. If you do this, we'll give you this. True loyalty is extending love that may not be deserved. It's extending this hesed, a kindness that flows from a grace you haven't received yourself. Or it's a kindness that flows from the grace you have received yourself. It's God's love. You, hear me on this, you cannot extend loyalty that you have not received. You cannot extend loyalty that you have not received. And what I mean by that is, it is God's loyalty, God's faithfulness, God's love for you through Christ, that when you understand that, when you believe that, when you accept that for the first time and you continue to seek to walk out and live that out, you can then extend that same kind of loyalty to people because you have experienced it. If you haven't experienced it, if you haven't known Christ's love and loyalty to you, how can you work that up in you? It's not possible. I can't. I've tried. I have to lean into the Lord and stay connected to him to be able to give the kind of loyalty that we see in Naomi and Ruth. So once you turn to your table, And I want you to talk about this for a minute. Do you live out God's love and commitment to you? 
Do you live out of God's love and commitment to you? Why or why not? Take a minute to talk about that. Okay. I'm going to jump back in. I know leaders were like, Lee, that's like the worst table question you've ever given. Like, and you know what? That's okay. I knew most of you probably aren't going to have an answer to that, but I wanted you to begin thinking through this because I think this is pretty core and foundational. Do we live out of God's love and commitment to you? And I think most of you would be like, I have no clue, and that's okay. But I want you to begin thinking about it because I think when the Christian life begins to look a little different is when we begin abiding with God in a regular way on a daily basis, that instead of, we, it, instead of it being a bunch of do's and don'ts, you just hear messages and do's and don'ts. You hear it more out of, dude, this is a story of God's love for his people, and you begin living out of that. So thank you, leaders, for working through that. I know some of you are like, he didn't give me much here. So let's look at verse 8. It says this, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as dealt with the dead and with me. So we, she, she's saying, look, you started to go out with me. I think they were walking on the way like they were going. And I think Naomi's like, don't come. You're just, you're go, there's, there's no hope for you here. Return back to your homeland. Go there where you can find a husband. This verse 9 says, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. She's saying, go that you may find a new husband and find rest there. You're not going to find rest with me. There's only hopelessness with me. I think Naomi honestly thought she was cursed. I think she thought, I'm cursed. Look at me. My husband's died. Both of my sons have died. I'm cursed. Don't come with me. Then she kissed them. They lifted up their voices and wept. They had this deep, these two daughters-in-law, this deep love for their mother-in-law. And they said to her, no, we will return with you and your people. So they do kind of say like, no, 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 we're, we want to go with you. We want to go with your people. And I kind of wonder, it doesn't say, but I sort of wonder if that was sort of the pleasantries that people give when you don't really mean it, but you know you should say it. And you're kind of hoping she's like, no, no, really, Go. Right? Even we know what that's like. And so I think that's kind of a little bit what happens here because then we look in verse 11. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. See, she thinks she's cursed. She thinks the hand of the Lord has gone out against her. So she says to them, here is all the true logical realities of why you should not be loyal to me and you should not go with me. She said, you need to remarry to find security. You need that. Number two, she's like, there's no way in my old age I could find another husband. Find one, have a baby soon, and then that somehow this baby could go really quick and you could have a husband. She's like, the logical reality is this is impossible. And third, she's like, I'm cursed. The Lord's hand is against me. And see, note that at this point, I think Naomi truly believes God is bitter against her and for some reason. And this is where God's covenant loyalty must be seen. This is where it all starts. If we're going to talk about do we have loyalty in our life, we've got to know what is God's covenant loyalty is that he will not turn his back on his people. When we look at the outward circumstances of our life and we say, God, you're bitter against me. Your hand is against me. Why does everybody else seem to be getting the things that I want and I'm not getting them? 
And God says, my covenant loyalty says that I love you. You are created in my image. My son died for you. His blood was shed for you. God says that love, although you might look at the outcome of circumstances and they might be hard, he says, my love is not turned against you. I am with you. So will we trust God's covenant love for us, that he's loyal, that he will not break his promises, even when our outward circumstances don't make us feel good? And I think in one sense, Naomi is doing a good thing. She's lamenting. She's crying out to God. She's having a righteous complaint about what's happening in her life. And you know what? That's okay. I appreciate that Pastor Jim gave a message a while back on lamenting. I think it's something we've lost a lot in our world and in our society and in the church, this idea of lamenting. Sometimes we're like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's okay. Just keep going. It's going to be okay. No, it's not. It hurts. The suffering that she's had in her life hurts. And she's crying out and she's saying, God, it feels like you're against me. And for some of you, you hold it all inside. And I would encourage you, go home today, write a letter out to God and say, God, here's the things that hurt. Here's the things that have happened in my life that it doesn't seem like you're with me, Lord. It seems like your hand is against me. But remember, what did Naomi do? As she cried out against the Lord, she was still saying, but back in the land, God has provided for his people. She still has a hope that God will provide. That's what some of you need. Naomi is lamenting what is happening in her life, and that is okay. She needs to lament at this moment. So what happens? Verse 14, they lifted up their voices and wept, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. So she kissed her mother-in-law, and she goes back. But it says this, but Ruth clung to her. And this is true loyalty, the second part. The first one, if you can go to the next, go to the next slide. The, the first uh, loyalty part is that is extending love that may not be deserved. The second part of true loyalty is staying committed when the results may not benefit you. Staying committed when the results may not benefit you. Now, this does not mean blind loyalty. Please hear me out. I think sometimes what happens is some of you, I'll just give this example. Some of you are in dating relationships or even just friendships that can be toxic. And you're like, I should just be loyal. God's just calling me to be loyal. No, God is calling you to set up boundaries. He wants you to go to his word and his truth and know where you set up boundaries. He's not saying have blind loyalty. But this true loyalty, staying committed when their results may not benefit you, it's choosing to stay committed to someone or something because it lines up with God's truth and the Holy Spirit is leading you there. And the other thing about this is that loyalty, true loyalty, will mean saying no to something. I think that's the hard part. I think if I look at a lot of our lives, we're like, I'm loyal here, I'm loyal here, I'm loyal here, I'm loyal here. Well, the problem is when you start getting all these different loyalties that you gave yourself to, they start contradicting each other. And all of a sudden, the ones, the loyalties that seem a little bit easier, we stay with those. And the ones that seem a little bit harder, we're like, eh, I don't know if I really want to go there. And so there is some loyalty, maybe even for some of you today, as you're thinking about this idea of what am I loyal to in my life, there might be some things, some people, some things that you need to begin saying no to, to give your loyalty back fully to following the Lord. Naomi, I'm sorry, Ruth was saying no to her homeland and to her family. But she has this inner conviction. This is right 
this is true. It might not benefit me, but I know this is where it's leading. And that really leads to the third part of loyalty is this. And she said, picking up in verse 15, See, your sister-in-law has come back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But, so, so Naomi says, go, go back. Don't stay with me. But Ruth said this. And this is the power in this text is real. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Orpah leaves, and honestly, by all reason, it makes a lot of sense why she does. She doesn't know this homeland she's going to. She has no husband there, no family there. She turns back to what she knows. But Ruth out of what I would believe is the leading of God and his spirit there leading her, decides to stay with Naomi. And this is true loyalty, the third part. True loyalty comes from an inner conviction and is a profoundly spiritual act of the mind and will. True loyalty comes from an inner conviction and is a profoundly spiritual act of the mind and will. See, True loyalty isn't rewards. What can I get? True loyalty comes from an inner conviction of what is true and real and is a profoundly spiritual act of both the mind and the will living it out. And that's what we see in the life of Ruth. Now, we're not told the details, but Ruth must have seen, experienced, and been impacted by the God of Naomi. She must have seen how Naomi lived her faith out to say, I will go with you. Your God will be my God. I'll live where you live. I will die where you die. So much so that it became an inner conviction that it was a profoundly spiritual act of her mind and her will to go with Naomi. So Ruth stakes her loyalty with Naomi in these ways. One, she says, I will choose, she will choose to serve her mother-in-law above her own needs. She will choose to actively go and stay with Naomi wherever she went, and she will choose to change her family, her cultural, her religious and spiritual background, and her national identity. As she leaves, all three of those things were happening. She staked her loyalty there. She says, I am loyal to you and to God, but it was to the Lord first. So then in uh, verses, the rest, it says this. So the two of them went on the way until they came to Bethlehem. When they, and when they came to Bethlehem, and the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women said, is this Naomi? I don't think that was as good as this Naomi. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Lord Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. That's key there. God's word doesn't mistake what it says. Ruth the Moabite her daughter-in-law with her. The Moabite who, in Deuteronomy, it said, God should never bring them peace, never extend peace to them. They returned to the, uh, from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. That kind of ends this first chapter, but it really sets the foundation and the groundwork for what God is going to do in the life of Naomi, 
his people, and his grand, really, work in the midst of humanity. Um, here's what I want you to do with time is it. Okay. I want you to think about this question. Think back to the loyalty programs we kind of were had fun with in the beginning. You know, after you learn about Ruth's loyalty to God and Naomi, I feel like these loyalty programs seem so trivial in comparison. So where is God speaking to you today to be loyal? And I'm going to invite the worship team up here as they're coming up. I want you to think about this. For some of you, where is God speaking to you to be loyal? Some of you, I think, need to start here. You need to start with God. You need to start with God. For some of you, you have said, like Ruth, I'm sorry, like Naomi, God, you're not loyal to me anymore. You aren't loyal to me, God. Why should I be loyal to you? And some of you need to come back and realize God's covenant promise of love to you has not left. He says, I love you. How did I show you how much I love you? My son died for you. So some of you need to start and just go to God today. And like I told you, write a letter to him and say, Lord, these are the things that are going on in my life. And then say, but Lord, I want to trust you again that you are loyal to me. God is trustworthy. What about for some of you? Is it a friend who doesn't know Jesus that you need to be loyal to and walk with them? Even though it's been a long time you've been praying to him, you've had lots of conversations with him? Stay loyal. Is it a family member for some of you? Brother or sister in Christ that's struggling, that just needs you to walk with them and be loyal to them and walk beside them? For some of you, is it this student ministry? Someone here has hurt you? You're like, I don't know if I can trust. Do I really want to be loyal here? Loyalty to the Lord, to trust his ways above your own, is to use your own free will for his glory. And it's part of God bringing his divine plan and your free will into action. I think sometimes when we don't remain loyal to the Lord, we forfeit getting to see God's plan in our lives and his, in his lives, in the lives of others. So God is looking for loyal followers who will listen to his voice and follow. Let's worship.